0: Hi, welcome back to the AI Assisted Organisation podcast with Implement AI and myself, Piers Lenny. Co-host is Alok Shukla, we're the co-founders of Implement AI. So we're gonna got a quite an interesting. few topics to talk about this week. Some are quite sort of a bit esoteric, but they're actually really important. And there was a fantastic video by a guy called Ahmad Mustique, Is it Mustique or is it a Alok? How do you pronounce it? Mustak. Mustak. Yeah. he's the uh, like a co-founder of um, Stability AI. So he's he's a very interesting guy in terms of his view on the world, the view on AI, the view on how AI should be open source. So we're going to cover that as well, and we're going to go through a bit of bit of news, a uh, few updates, um, how AI is being used, and then we're going to go on to Really, and go through about how you scale humans as well, because I wrote an article on LinkedIn about this. So there's quite a few to get through. Let, let's get on with it. So one of the pieces of news, um, Alok, so I, I'm back, where are you now, actually? I'm back in London. You're back in Lisbon. Uh, I'm in Lisbon. I'm flying into
1: London tomorrow. Oh,
0: yeah, I've, I've, I've got to back from Italy, which is quite interesting. Beautiful place. And I've been catching up. So some of the news is, this ongoing battle that we're going to see this is why we're going to see a lot of um you know we're going to see ai evolve because there's so much more yep. money now and there's so much focus on it chasing it and one of the points that came out of the video of imad is that there are now more developers in ai than there are in blockchain and the chap called demis um hasabis i think you pronounce his name and he was the um one of the co-founders of deep which was acquired by google so these are the guys that you know solve you know protein folding it's a great Video documentary called about AlphaGo. So they're the ones that you know built an AI, the best human player of Go in the world. And if you haven't never heard of Go, it's a much more complicated game than chess. So Demis is saying, so he's kind of Google, really, if you think about it. And he's saying that their next, he called it an algorithm, but their next model or platform, you want to call it, is going to be, is going to outperform OpenAI and you know, ChatGPT example and what he's saying is, is that they're going to combine a lock sort of transform model the GPT LLM with this kind of iterative problem solving AI they've got which allowed them to solve things like you know protein folding so he's a bit vague on what that actually means what that's going to look like but the you know the the battle's definitely on
1: Hundred percent. Like you can't count Google out. Like they've tuned all of their forces and everything onto this. And you know, as you saw in the AlphaGo documentary, I mean, at the beginning, it was almost unimaginable for a computer system to beat, you know, one of the world's ranked top players in, in Go. But they they did quite consistently. And I think in that video, what was quite interesting is there were some moves that were done by the Go system, by the AlphaGo system, which no human would play. And they said it was almost like an alien was playing Go. So I'm really excited and interested to see how their new model evolves and what that's going to lay out for, you know, LLM agents, basically.
0: And they've also got, they've got models where I've seen where, you know, they're, they're kind of teaching a, an AI to walk. So they don't really give it much information about it. They give it the basic dynamics and basic physics, I suppose. And it's got two legs. And it just sort of bumbles around and tumbles around and eventually learns to walk. So this is the point about allowing these models to actually self-learn. And that's when it gets quite interesting because then you're going to see this exponential generation of improved time. And an exponential change so it's going to be very interesting to see what um google come out with i mean, there's no idea when uh, they're keen to rolling these things out quite slowly google have just rolled out i think it's in google sheets it's in a i think it's a closed beta the ability now to talk to their version of excel if you if you don't use google to talk to a spreadsheet using prompt essentially to set things up analyze data you know pivot data so it's coming into their, well, we'll come on to this a bit later on. It's coming into their kind of productivity stack. But if we sort of start combining mm-hmm. large language models with this, if these models that literally learn on the go, pardon the pun. We're going to see some amazing um, solutions.
1: No, hundred percent. Because like they've got like the whole point they did with those systems is they almost give it the points for like what the, a win looks like and what a what a lose looks like, and then it, it figures itself out how to win the games. that did this with so many different computer games, and like we're going to touch on later on, it's the beginning of the ecosystem wars, basically, isn't it?
0: Yeah, which brings me neatly onto ecosystem. So you're now seeing that in an app store, you know, and mobile phones, there's two really, but in AI, there is going to be a huge battle for the app store, the platform. Now you're seeing things like um, Amazon, that's the way they seem to be going. have got Bedrock, but also they, they're sort of developing a, an app store for um, AI as well, or and models, large language models. They're not all going to be proprietary, a lot of them open source, like I'm Hugging Face, for example. And then also you've got um, Google ecosystem as well. You've got the Microsoft ecosystem. I think Microsoft 365, when they launched Copilot, which is the having a sort of a a chat GPT built into their productivity platform, productivity suite. And Google's going to have Duet, which would be a similar competitive thing. And that's what the ability to, you know, talk to a spreadsheet is already. So you're going to see those begin to roll out. You've got things like Unity and gaming. So that's a a sort of a gaming platform. And they want to roll out an app store as well. You're going to see a massive battle for where do these applications, where do these models live and how do you access them? Um, how do you integrate with them? And inevitably, how would you pay for them?
1: 100%. And basically, like with Google, they released like a kind of white paper where they were, well, actually it wasn't a white paper, it was an internal memo where they were saying they didn't really have any actual competitive advantage in this whole space. And the whole strategy they've got is to try and integrate AI and make it as easy as possible so it integrates into workflows because the whole point is you want to be able to like take what's in Bard put it into an email, put it into a Google Doc, you know, like have everything flowing in an easy way possible. And whoever's got the most of your data sitting there, they can give you the best possible recommendations. So 100%, you know, OneDrive want to do this. They want to have all your documents. They can customize things your way. Google want that for Google Drive in that way. So I think that's totally going to happen. And to be honest, I think it's just going to fragment. Like people are going to have their Microsoft, or their Google, depending on whether they're running on apps or, or on 365, but then for video or for audio or for images, is that there'll be choices of different ecosystems essentially. And I think that's where it's gonna evolve. Whoever adds the most utility makes it the easiest possible. And once you get used to that, you're just really not gonna probably switch.
0: Yeah, the way I see it is that you're gonna see this kind of, you know the kind of race to be you know, the app store for everybody. But the key is going to be is a lot of these, a lot of these are very technical. And we've looked at these at NVIDIA, Microsoft, you know, Azure. And you know, that's great for enterprise, they're throwing lots of money at it and developers, and they're, they're becoming more and more expensive over time. But the real value is going to be is how can you how can you have an issue or workflow or solution that you need, an objective, and then you, need, you understand where to go to actually find a solution or, or model, and then an application over the top of that, that enables you to build a solution? Or we'll talk about agents as well, and also GPT's evolved. Or you have an agent that understands what you're trying to do, and that can then go off and then talk to these different app stores and find the best solution for you. It can implement itself and write the code. And that's going to be the secret to it. That's where you're going to see this stuff really take off.
1: No, that makes sense. And you you showed quite an interesting study, isn't it? Like where it was showing what most people are using AI for and how it makes their work better, isn't it? Right. Yeah,
0: there's a, there's a study on um, The Verge, which I've got in front of me here. So it wasn't a massive sample, about 2,000 people in the US. But it's quite interesting seeing that what people are using AI for, so that photos, 37%. Music, which is not really business related. I know what you do. Thirty-one know, percent. Videos, designs, stories—all about thirty percent. Answering a question. So this is kind of where it starts to compete with search, kind of seventy percent. Blog posts, twenty percent. That seems low to me, given what I know about people um, writing blogs. Coding, eighteen percent. I think we're going to see that grow. Artwork again to about twenty-seven. Emails, twenty-five. I think you're going to see emails increase quite a lot once that's built into things like you know Duet and Google and co-pilot in Microsoft, brainstorming 54%. And I, I think AI is amazing for that. I mean, Chat GPT is a fantastic tool for brainstorming. So 54% I think is quite low given that its capability. And data analysis 26%. And I think that's again going to be a feature of, I think in the US, depending where you are and why I've got access to things like code interpreter. Well data analysis is going to be huge as that's rolled out. You've got lyrics. But what's again interesting is another sort of um, another chart here, which is how people think AI has improved or worsened their work output. And generally, whether it's artwork, emails, coding, music, stories, articles and blogs, lyrics, essays, you're over 50%. If it's artwork, you're kind of nudging 60%, coding again, and their emails again. So everyone is seeing an improvement of their work output of at least 50%
1: that's amazing isn't it like that's just it's incredible that like even with a small sample size the numbers are still that high
0: and that brings me on to let's talk about the the because it's about quite a bit to get through here on the emad mustique it was an interview he did um with a chap and um, what was his was chap's name diamandis he's okay, okay, very interesting just the way he delivers it isn't it the way he sort of talks about this it, quite quite matter quite matter of factly about how you want to change the world and just to give you some context so they kind of, um, build, if you go to their website, I've been playing with actually, it's the Stable Diffusion Model, which is what a lot of people use to generate um, text to images. They've got various models that you can go and play with. But it's all free. And he's very focused on open source. So he made a few really interesting points. So I made some notes. So initially he thinks, and this is generally being correct in technology up to now, to have some very, very sort of a clever AGI, but he's saying that generalized models are never going to be as good as specialized models. The point is, is that, he looks at building models for individuals, organizations, governments, or countries as a whole. So he talking to people like um, some com- countries in Africa about building a model for that country. So almost absorbing all the information and data yeah, that the government's got and providing a model where they can access all the information in very in intelligent ways. And he was saying that you have ChatGPT on your phone, but within a year not connected to the internet so it's always with you wherever, wherever you are and they made a really good point i think which is you said intelligence is compression almost so think about when you're trying to you know you're trying to read a book and I think if you've used like blinkist for example where they'll do a summary of the book or chat g particular i use it to summarize a youtube video or some text to read he's saying that intelligence really is exactly that it's compression It's being able to look at a body of data or information and take away the key points Key points generally, or the key points are specifically relevant to you. And that's what they're trying to do.
1: No, no, I I agree. And there were so many points within this presentation where he was talking about, like, Peter was asking him, can you see past five years? And he's like, no, I cannot see past five years. And he was talking about, like, how you know, in five years there won't be any developers. And the amount of code that's being developed by AI right now is enormous. I think four of the top apps in, in the App Store were using Stable Diffusion. And there was just so many so many elements within his presentation, which is just like, yeah, it's going to, think if, if countries like India, for example, have access to their own AI, which is culturally relevant and is able to kind of output in the ways that you want it, you're totally going to pick your specialized versions versus these kind of like general versions, totally.
0: What he was saying that stable diffusion, which is their diffusion model, which is sort of text images, is increased in speed by 100x since August last year. And he thinks eventually they're going to compress these models down to about 100 megabytes. Is it megabytes? Yeah, megabytes, not gigabytes.
1: hundred megabytes. That's what he said. So you can yes. have this anywhere. You can be in the phone, you can have it on your watch. Yeah, even now you can have it on a laptop, like, you know, because it's down to a few gigs already, like, without internet, that can be anywhere.
0: And what he was saying is, and he makes these big, bold points, but he was saying that this is his game, but he's saying this is the biggest change in society ever. For example, this one blows my mind a little bit. He was saying that they're building the ability to write an entire book from a prompt. Now... I guess you need a lot of information and background and research and we provide it with the structure and paragraphs and uh, chapters, what you want it to look like, broadly speaking, a kind of an outline, a kind of a um, skeleton. But then you would be able to write a book. The ability to produce content, and I was thinking about this yesterday about, we talked last week on the, the pod about, you know, hype cycles and you know, where's this all going. But I, I was, um, I mean, on the back of this, I wrote an article that's on LinkedIn. We come on to about scaling humans. Cause what Emad says is that what, what this technology allows you to do is scale humans, scale yourself. You become massively more productive, massively more efficient, you can absorb absorb more information, use more information, access to sort of, you know, more or less infinite um, intelligence, because the platforms are they scale up as well. He's saying that is gonna absolutely change the world. And the point he made that resonated with me, which made me write the article, was that he said there is nothing more important in business
1: in your business than this. And uh, by that, he means AI. No, totally. And I think like, From leading on from that prompt where you said like writing a whole book from one prompt or loading in the first book and asking it to write you the sequel for example like that was another example that was kind of like giving it in those areas I think we're going to we're going to shift into a different form of media basically from like social media it'll go into like more personalized media because like if you can have a book written from a single prompt or anything the question is like if you're into a particular type of genre or a particular type of of interest you can have content completely personalized for you and it can be generated for an audience of one and that's completely possible now. And I think this completely changes, like, mass media and mass content.
0: But what's your – just on that then, so if you think about social media, yeah, and you can get – I mean, I was looking, you know, a few videos about the, you know, that a submersible that um, sadly uh, was disappeared. And uh, suddenly my whole flipping okay. timeline full of things about submarines and God knows what. So, you know, getting, in social media, you're getting these rabbit holes, whereas with AI –
1: this rabbit hole could be much deeper, much broader, and you ne- you never surface from it. Yeah, so that that's where it's going to get a bit crazy because the thing is, that you go deeper into that area, and then you only see in detail articles which filter to your worldview. And then when you add on top of that, personal AIs, where people are then talking with like an AI which completely understands them, and potentially like these kind of like relationships and bonding, I think it's going to become quite difficult. You know, it's going to start getting a bit different, really, because some people are going to start disconnecting from society and going more and more into this digital world but i mean the thing is the implications are that kind of you have to be more personalized in any form of media that you're doing with to engage customers like it's not about going down that full rabbit hole but it just shows how things are going to shift because everything is fragmenting like you know you showed from that statistics people are using these LLMs for search so, you know, Google ten, top 10 blue links are not going to be there anymore. Everything is just shifting. And I think the key thing is like, how can you build using some AI into customize and personalize some form of your customer experience? Because that's the way everything's going these days.
0: And what Eggman was saying was that, you know, what will not be the same ever again in your sector, it will never be the same again once you can scale humans. And I find that that whole concept of scaling a human fascinating because, you know, I always come back to this triangle, downside, which I which I did in the article Want to read it? It's on um, LinkedIn, and this triangles so are sort of filling up with you know the first revolution, the second, third. Now we're at the fourth, and we as humans have to move up to the top. But inevitably, as that triangles filled up, and you're scaling humans, so one human can do more with less. There's a point through you know through the ages, you know different industrial revolutions, where we always find more work because there was more demand and where there was more mass production, there was more people with money in the consumer revolution, and then the internet as well, that's kind of changed things. But in this AI revolution, we don't quite know when or how far out. I think what he's saying as well, and this is my view as well, is that you are going to at some point going to need fewer humans. This is not really about in the short term or even medium term about getting rid of people. It's about maximizing the potential of the people you've got uh, I think that's actually really exciting.
1: 100%. Like, I mean, from different conversations we've been having, like, if you can take away kind of like the drudgery of some different tasks and you can help people be more creative and connect more with other people, I mean, that's what it comes down to, basically. Like, there's so many kind of like non-value-added activities that we have to do to just kind of get work done uh, behind the scenes. And if these AIs can help support that cognitive labor, it's just going to be fantastic.
0: And he was saying that you're seeing now these sort of context windows. So when you write a prompt, how much context can you give... An AI. It's now up to about twenty thousand words. So what he was saying was that if you've got an AI, he's using an example at like workday, for example, and you can upload all the context about this sas or an AI. What that sas is trying to do, what information it uses, yeah, it code HR, HR policies, um, case studies, everything. You can upload it in one prompt, and then just start asking the questions. So. He was saying, and this is another article I wrote a while ago on LinkedIn as well, was about, he's saying that these SaaS companies are going to have to work a lot harder to add more value. And I was looking on, um, before we were doing this, I was going through a lot of, they always end up playing with different SaaS tools, and there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And I can't always work out how much value they're actually adding. And how many times you can pay someone you know, $20 a month?
1: It's going to shift. And I think that's why all the big companies are like pushing AI into their systems. But 100%, like I think it's going to evolve into a very interesting time place. I, I, that's why we talk with so many people. It's like, you really want to get to foundational models in your company and then just figure out how to have a you know database which everyone can access and how you can generate your own things because that's the way everything's going to, going to go over time, basically.
0: And this is an interesting point, isn't it? Is that with AI, which is slightly different, and I talk about this kind of, kind of bell curve of software as a service in many ways where they're always going in the middle because that's the biggest market. And uh, I back this up as well is that, you know, AI, you can use this technology where, you know, you have to create some micro SaaS, micro apps, you know, automating your workflows, but it's specific to your business. So what you're doing is you're optimizing and enhancing your specific business or even your personal life, as opposed to mm-hmm. what the average customer might want from a large tech company. And that's a game changer.
1: No, the ability to like fine tune, personalize, customize is, is just enormous. And like, and just like you said, if you've got that context window, which is that big, and you can literally do that, how many SaaS softwares can you customize that easily by just loading in your own personal data? You just can't basically, isn't it?
0: Well, they're all trying now. I mean, I've been playing around with, I was looking for the sort of AI of the week, but I was playing with um Stable Diffusion, you know, the, the sort of the imagery, but also um, in Adobe Firefly, which is just fascinating, actually. So I've used Photoshop, the beta version, and Premiere Pro, which is sort of the video editing. And um, those bigger companies, I have to say, they have built in some really powerful additions using AI. Now, where that's going to go, we don't quite know yet. But you are seeing all the big companies, you know, from Salesforce to Microsoft to, you know Google to a lot of the SaaS companies. Now, it's kind of the it's like putting .com after your company name, isn't it? Early in the late sort of 90s, everything's kind of AI. But the, the real benefit is going to be is automating your business the way you want it to operate. And I think that's going to be the key to it. I find the most frustrating thing with SaaS is that it's always kind of half-baked. It doesn't quite do what you want it to do. And to get it to what you want it to do is actually quite difficult. And, it, and that's kind of pointless. Also implement AI is what we're trying to do, isn't it?
1: No, no, I, I agree. And, and I say like that the more I look at like the, the platforms and models out there, like we had a meeting with Nvidia recently and like the, the systems and platforms that they've got ready and models as a service and the power of those models like whether it's an intelligent virtual assistant or it's a you know a very complex protein folding model like these are just available for different people to kind of just build on so i, I totally agree with you like um when you have that kind of raw power possible and you can customize it within your company and um, you've got all the opportunities possible really
0: just on nvidia then we, we might announce that this week but we're just announced with coming video becoming one of their partners which is a uh, quite exciting fascinating um infrastructure they're developing there so let's move on to um something i find quite interesting as well is the what you kind of touched upon which is kind of comparing it to social media is ai externalities right so what's an externality so a good example would be you know it might be cigarette smoking when they're in fashion is sort of a, you know in the 1900s or oil is a great example you know, dig it out of the ground you burn it you use it and no one ever saw there was a cost and um, a long-term cost clearly there was there's a health cost or there's a cost to the environment and they're the externalities. And the question is you know, at one extreme, and people might think one externality of AI is, you know, it, it's the end of the human race, which I don't believe that's nonsense. But what do you think the AI externalities are going to be? And you've touched them on one there, which is like social media, is that not, these are not rabbit holes anymore. These are like enormous caves that you just clamber into and, you and your never, out and never on and you um, come out <laughs> of.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I really think that like, One of the good things about like these language models is I thought they introduced nuance. Like, so for example, when you ask it to like debate two extreme points of view, it gives you a balanced viewpoint. So that was one thing that I liked about it. But having seen these, the ability for these language models to be able to like create like any kind of content, any kind of article, any kind of book, just based on your unique interests, you're going to find people are just going to go deeper and deeper into that and almost become kind of more disconnected so i do definitely think that you're going to get people where they they almost like are talking to these personal ais or the ais and they're just getting validated of their of their views but the views are unfortunately becoming more disconnected from reality i think there's going to be some
0: problem. i mean but what about how do you how do you price it then so in in carbon for example your carbon credits you know and in other other externalities aren't particular for society as a whole or the environment they get taxed so the point is with AI, externality, things like that. I mean, and also, what about in business as well? Is it, is it going to be the same? Or is it a bit more sort of ruthless and about really you know, optimizing a P&L? What, what's your view on that in terms of how you actually deal with it?
1: I think what's going to happen in the future is like the companies potentially that using AI and they've got a lower Let's call it like payroll tax bill. Essentially, they will suddenly become an AI tax at some point, right? Like uh, based on your productivity, that's going to come in at some point. But it, it's going to take a while. Like they're already looking at these universal credits and things like this. Like in, in the meantime, so
0: yeah, if you fast forward that, if AI eventually robotics are making everything, you're right in terms of generating or having a fiscal policy and generating tax income for the government so they can be redistributed in services or universal basic income UBI, whatever it might be. I think that's something that needs to be thought about. But in business, I don't... The externality, in a way, is going to be crushing your competition. (laughs) I mean, it's different when it's a person, you disappear down some rabbit hole. But I think in business, the people that understand the opportunity and begin to, you know, embrace it now, the externality is going to be a rapid change in the in the sort of competitive
1: landscape of any sector 100 because like once you change the the buying pattern and make it easier faster cheaper for someone else to kind of like deal with you then that's going to become the default mode that everyone's going to expect and then if other people don't follow that you win basically isn't it you know but other people will follow that and then it'll become more competitive it's just like market dynamics will just evolve but whoever starts first is going to have the momentum advantage because they'll just build up more data and build up a better system which means with more data improve the system further. It's just that flywheel, basically. The quicker you can kick off that that flywheel.
0: It can be quite interesting, isn't it? Because the the past has been quite focused on, you know, since especially the American titans of industry, on, um, you know, trying to avoid monopolies or even oligopolies. So it was kind of, you know, in the UK as well, having these organisations or governmental bodies, essentially, regulators to try and stop organisations from having too much market power. What's quite interesting now is, you could be a very small company and have Enormous market power. Well, your market power could go from zero to 100 miles an hour kind of overnight. So the regulators have to try and um, manage who has market power, the extent it actually is, you know, it is harming consumers. They're going to have a
1: real challenge on their hands. But look at the Silicon Valley Bank episode. Look at what happened there, right? Like uh, that was like a whole run on the bank, which happened like some months ago. And normally, when a bank run happens where people try to withdraw money, it's done with physical locations and people can stop it and block it. But this is over the course of a weekend where everybody digitally, you know, withdrew their money. So the point is when these changes happen, they're going to happen with like big vectors of force. And you're going to have companies which, like you said, have hardly any employees, but wield a huge amount of power, basically, if, if everyone's dependent on their algorithm.
0: Yeah, so I think the, the externality is going to be, in some cases, the winners take most all, or most of it. And it's a question of um, trying to be one of them, isn't it? Let's move on to, trying to keep this to half an hour, to um, AI of the week. Now, I've been going through loads of these, right? And the ones I've been focusing on this week, I would have to say, i have been um, things like Descript or um, Eleven Labs, another one, PlayHT. There's quite a few of them about sort of voice cloning. I've been trying to work out which one can get the closest to my voice because if you can get what you're happy with, that is a really powerful tool. Getting all the kind of, you know, the, the the pauses, the breaths, you know, they tend to take my mixed accents out. I've got a bit of Lancashire, a bit of Midlands, a bit of Southern. It kind of takes it out. So it's like a posh version of me. That's what I've been playing with. But I know what's probably more interesting, though, is the evolution of the auto GPTs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I came across this week, and um Very interesting one. So remember we were talking about like Nokia Snake. So every time I'm I'm talking, I'm always saying that like AI now is like this Nokia Snake game. It's like the worst that it's ever going to be. And it's like, and despite all the power, it's literally like that. So just think of the game Snake. Auto-engineer, this um, AI I came across recently. It's incredible. Basically, you can describe... The features of the game so you can like go into chat GPT and say like please give me the features of the game snake on a nokia and so that i could put it into like this ai auto engineer and then it'll give you all the features of, of that game and then you put it into the other one and it will actually generate the code for that pro- for that program which is playable which is insane it's insane
0: so again there i mean i rolled out the first auto gpt thing but um this is still quite you've got a flowing it from GitHub, it's all quite technical, isn't it? It's not something, yes. there's no kind of easy interface for it.
1: Yes, the point is the power. I think the point to look at here is the power of stacking two AI systems, basically. One to specify, one to execute. And I think that the, the fact that you can go from a description of a game to a playable version of the game That's incredible. Someone could just put, you know, a user-friendly front end on it and and it's there. They even showed a different one where you literally write a book just from, you know, like a single prompt essentially. But I think this is where it's getting powerful, where you've got two or three AIs with like complementary skills, but the power of what it can ship just increases in complexity basically.
0: And and the secret, we touched on this last week, didn't we? The secret is the user interface where... Now, if it's just going to be you know, multimodal or just you know, text or speech, ideally, essentially, whether it's text or speech, doesn't matter, because the, the translation models are very good now. You can talk to your technology, whatever that is, and uh, give it an outcome, an objective, or just explain your intent, and it goes away and produces a solution. I mean... That's just a game changer. And this is what Imad was saying in that um, uh, interview as well, is that there will be no one coding in five years.
1: No, 100%. I mean, like, just to kind of abstract it down to the simplest way, like imagine you're just working and then you, normally on Slack, you would like Slack, for example, a colleague to kind of do something for you or ask them something. Well, you can just have within Slack, you know, different AI agents which are ready to take your command and just execute it for you. So I think we're in a, a super exciting time here. It's like uh, everybody's got a really smart executive assistant that's now got coding powers and you know data analysis and and anything and brainstorming potential. And I just think that this seamless back and forth with with different agents is just going to unlock a lot more productivity for people.
0: We'll wrap it up there. So I mean, the main takeaway this week is. It's just scaling humans, right? It's scaling yourself. It's scaling your employees, your team. It's scaling your business. And it's using this access to intelligence to allow people to do a lot more with the same or ideally less over time. That's right. So this is the uh, AI-assisted yes. organization podcast with Implement AI. Uh, if you haven't signed up to Implement AI, go to implementai.io. Um, myself and Alok, we're probably going to be, I think we're, we're doing an event in London on Wednesday, aren't we, which is about 40 people are coming to that. That's going to be fascinating. We're going to be talking about um, rolling out AI into most of these SMEs and, and companies in the finance sector as well, wealth management. So we're looking forward to that. And we'll, we'll share the news on NVIDIA and um, Microsoft when we can. Uh, until same time, same place next week, we'll see you then. See you then.